Welcome to the You Go First podcast. This is the place where we bring together thought leaders, business pioneers, personal development gurus, and just about any person we discover that will inspire and compel you to go first in all areas of your life. Please welcome keynote speaker, philanthropist, and the official head dream chaser for Odyssey Teams, Inc., our host, Lane Hensley. Welcome back to another episode of You Go First. I'm your host, Lane Hensley, and uh, in my years of traveling around the planet, I've been lucky enough to partner with a lot of great keynote speakers, to thought leaders, to authors, and all of that. And so the vision of the You Go First podcast is to help inspire our listeners and ourselves to recognize places where we can go first out there in our lives. What are the things that stop us from going first? Uh, when do we wait for someone else to go first? And uh, we inevitably end up as sort of the victim or prisoner in those situations. So as you're listening today, I'm really honored uh, to have the time to be in the same room with my actual, my business partner, Bill John, who started Odyssey right in the sort of flutterings of the 1990s, uh, coming out of the human development and personal development industries into the experiential game. And uh, now uh, I think we're in our 26th to 27th year in business together, uh, running Odyssey and traveling around the world. So we're rarely in the same room, and today we're in studio. So uh, if you're out there, I'm really blessed, and I want to just thank you, Bill, for taking the time to be here today with us and to be on You Go First. I got a lot of questions for you. So, Bill, thanks for being here. How are you feeling today? Well, this is a new medium, and it's kind of exciting. Uh, I'm excited to be here, obviously. 27 years later, for many reasons, I'm excited to be here. Uh, so yeah, let's get rolling with Q&A and figure out where we're going with uh, this podcast. Yeah, well, podcast is, of course, something that we've talked about for a long time. And how do we get the message out there? Because in our work, you know, we may fly for two or three days to get to some remote part of the world and work with mm -hmm. a couple hundred people in uh, four or five hours that we spend with them, or if it's a short keynote that you have, it just never feels like we can go deep enough because we've been thinking about these things for you know decades right? and all the books we read and all of that. So let's just start with the, you know, people can go online and see a YouTube video or see you speaking. Uh, maybe they've experienced your program. So let's take a little window in the behind the scenes world of Bill. You know, what inspires you now? What's got your, what's captured your imagination the most these days? Hmm. These days, I, I feel like uh, it's still the kind of the, just the core of me that's still driven to uh, want to find more dignity in work. You know, I want to wake up uh, every day and feel more inspired by what I do. And even though I get huge doses of inspiration uh, when I'm leading a session and we've got all these people that are the, the synergy that comes from the work that we do, uh, I still go back and put my head on the pillow and I say, was that good enough? And was I effective enough? Did I impact people's lives in a way that honors whatever they gave up to be there in that moment? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I doubt that. And so I still have this fuel that drives me, the core of me that's still, how can I get people to recognize the dignity of their work, which ultimately is going to allow me to create more dignity in my work, uh, more value so that they see that their actions really make a difference, regardless of how far they feel from uh, the customer or the, the ultimate benefit of their product or their service. Yeah. Well, of course, I know you maybe as good as anybody in the world. Uh, and I've watched you, you know, put in the millions of air miles and 
you know, traveling to different parts of the world. And, uh, and I always call you a Renaissance man. Cause you like get, you know, focused. I know you don't like that title, no. but you know, you, you, you took a ride in a personal airplane and within months you've got your own airplane and your license and all those things. You took a trip to Africa and kind of got into a little bit of photography. And now you have a place in Africa. You've got, of course, some amazing camera equipment. So tell me about what Africa means to you and how has photography helped you see maybe our work through a new lens or how does Africa and photography play into Bill John's perspective? That's a great question. And I could talk for days about that. Uh, cause I've thought a lot about what is this pull that I have to Africa and what's the pull that I have to, to capturing animals, uh, on film, uh, digital film, of course, these days. Um, I think that the, the feeling that I get from it is similar to when I'm fly fishing in a, in a river. And the thing about fly fishing in a river, especially for trout, which has always been the thing that I focus on. And of course we do that a lot and Lane's a big fly fisherman. And, uh, some of our favorite times have been fishing when we're not working. So anyway, uh, to be in nature is, mm -hmm. is a grounding aspect of life. It's just, it's hard to not, it's, it's hard to find um, uh, rejuvenation in a city. It's hard to fill up my tank of peacefulness. Uh, so uh, trout always, trout occur in places that are usually pristine. It's cold water, it's clear water, it's coming from the mountains and it's a place that's usually pristine. So that's, that's the affection that I've had with specifically with trout. Uh, but catching the trout uh, is, uh, you know, and, re and then releasing it. And I always wonder why, what's the, what is that? Why do I feel like I need to capture this thing and hold it in my hand? And it has to do with the feeling of I'm connected to nature yeah. and I'm seeing the beauty of this animal. So going to Africa and being able to see these things that I've never seen before, uh, was that same kind of feeling, a, a more immersive feeling into nature. And then uh, adding the camera to it and being able to zoom in and to see the, the whiskers on a, on a lion or the, the rosettes on a leopard uh, or just the staggering beauty of, of an Impala's horns. Being able to zoom in on those things uh, makes me feel like I'm, I'm seeing nature in a new way and I'm, I'm really feeling it in a new way. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, our world is metaphor and our world is just recognizing what about human behavior mm. inspires us, inspires them. And in our programs, we're not out in nature looking at an Impala, but and we're not catching this beautiful trout in some remote river. But I think that, you know, your, our dedication, your dedication is to create these moments of wow with people and these moments of, whoa, I was in touch with something in me that that make keeps me present that makes me feel right. like i'm connected to something and whether it's like right. in, in our hand building programs which i know that you have built so many hands in that workshop and you've you know taken it upon yourself to go i'm going to india you know i want to fit hands on people and mm -hmm. you've put hands on people so if you can like our listeners are you know i think that they're in a place in their life where maybe i can't go to africa and see that and if they experience our program they yeah. have a sense of like i understand like this connection i have you know how do what's your formula well how can you tell people that says hey 
how do they find those moments of connection that inspire them, make them go, wow, you know, I'm part of that's a great question. Deep part of ourselves. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I feel like, you know, regardless of how good of a job you, you have, you could have the best job in the world, but you need to escape that at times. And you need to, you need to be able to step away to recharge, to be able to see that job from a new perspective. And Einstein said uh, that m many of his greatest breakthroughs happened in moments of, of uh, uh, quietude was the word that he used. Um, and so when the mind turns off, then you're able to access things sometimes that you've never thought about before. Mm -hmm. And so that surprise, that, that ability to find things uh, outside of work that, uh, that make a difference inside of work the value of metaphor that we that we live in in the work that we do is really important and it doesn't have to happen from building hands it doesn't have to happen from building bikes and giving them to kids it can happen from standing in a river and and casting a fly or or pointing a camera at at an animal uh but when we're introspective and we look for the connections that these things have in our lives we realize that it's not disconnected so, so my endeavor is always to look at work like that. How can work feel more like uh, the dignity or the peacefulness of when I'm not working? How, how do I blend that to be part of my vocation? How do I bring that into work more often? And it turns out there's ways to do that. It's, it turns out that it's a very reflexive uh, uh, thing for us in our nature to uh, to think that the grass is greener on the other side, or I need to go outside of my work mm. to find that dignity uh, in my life, or that that feeling that I'm connected, the feeling that I'm that I'm making a difference, the feeling that that uh, the, my moment here matters. Yeah, tell 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 us about like the first time you put a prosthetic hand on somebody. Just give us a quick snippet of how did that feel? Uh, great, yeah, it's amazing when you like? ask a question. How quickly my mind can go back. It can yeah. just race right back to that moment. It's it's just amazing what a, a simple question can do to transport this time travel uh, to take me back. I don't know eight years now when I first met this boy named Shiv Kumar in uh, southern India. And I had built uh, in the programs with our clients, we'd built several thousand hands before I had a chance to see what this hand actually uh, does on, uh, on a person's uh, residual limb, what we call the, the amputated part of the, the arm. Uh, and I saw this boy be able to write for the first time after being electrocuted and losing his, his hand, um, trying to retrieve his kite from down power lines. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I got to see him write, and the first word that he wrote was love. And mm. I thought, how profound is that, that this kid wrote? That was the first choice that he wrote after not being able to write for so long. And uh, as I looked closer, um, I noticed that the carrying case, that the, these strangers that will never meet Shiv Kumar and never know his story, uh, the word on the outside of the carrying case that they designed, the, the colorful image that they thought to convey, this message uh, that they put on the outside of that case that his hand came in was the word love. Wow. And that was the first word that he chose to write. And I could see the love in his father's eyes when he saw his boy for, write for the first time since his accident. And it was just incredible. Mm. And I just, the goosebumps just fly all over me when I, when mm. I think about that kid. And the, the most amazing part of, of his story is the, is the fact that he is, 
he represents the 53,000 stories that are out there for me. And I feel like every one of those people that are receiving these hands is a boy like Shiv Kumar that has their own story. They have, they have a father with, with eyes that I got to see. And my job in, in a program is always to come through with that essence, that, that experience, that feeling that I had seeing him and trying to convey to people that even though we don't see the effects uh, or the impacts that our actions have on people, the best that we can do is really, uh, the best that we can do is just imagine and challenge each other to think beyond the obvious, to, to feel deeper than perhaps we allow ourselves to, because it's hard to feel that kind of emotion a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easier to run, a, run away from it or not acknowledge that we, kind of, we, that we have that kind of power, that we have that ability to impact other people. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the business of you know, giving and giving people epic experiences in our programs and then the team building programs or leadership development or keynote. And of course, I know more than most about what that process has been like. And, you know, as you're talking about this experience with Shiv Kumar, we know emotion creates memory. And that's where, you know, I asked the question, bam, you're back into that emotion because you mm-hmm. felt it so deeply. And thinking of photography in the eyes of the father, like the, the eyes are like the lens of the camera and our mm-hmm. brain is sort of the body of it and how it interprets the light and interprets the, the things that we see. And I know, you know, you spend a lot of time away from your family. You spend a lot of time on the road, uh, reflecting on life and then trying to inspire groups. Uh, but I know this isn't a new thought for you before, you know, when you were in college, uh, you know, in early days of Odyssey, we were doing for almost 20 years, a women with cancer survivors mm-hmm. retreat, even though we would go and facilitate that. And obviously we're not women mm-hmm. uh, and be there with 20 or 30 women that are struggling with breast cancer. Uh, and that real heart that you have of like wanting to make a difference for people in need. But mm-hmm. I know that it started when you were in college and with a roommate. So um, can you tell us about like that first yeah. sense of philanthropy, that first sense of bringing people together around a cause? Because I think in our training programs, we're bringing people around, bringing people together around a cause, whether that's running this company or uh, some philanthropic endeavor or you know, hitting the numbers they have in Q4, but tell us about that first cause that you are a part of. Yeah, um, thanks, I will. And I just gotta acknowledge, uh, if you're new to this podcast, uh, the, the idea is that, uh, that you feel something and I, I don't think you're in any better hands uh, as, a, as a guide through this uh, to have Lane Hensley here. We, we often call him uh, the giant nerve ending. Lane, Lane feels a lot and Lane feels, uh, feels other people a lot and he feels a, a great sense of uh, commitment to, to helping people. And so his question is basically asking, of course, what you asked, which is how did I get started in that objective of, of, of service and, and helping people. And uh, I had a wonderful roommate in my senior year um, uh, named Jimmy. And Jimmy's dad was diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease uh, many years prior. Uh, and while I was in uh, his roommate that senior year, his dad passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease. And I watched the tragedy of that, and uh, I, was a, I was a big runner at the time. I was kind of my outdoor, that was my escape, and so I did a lot of running, and I, I, um, I decided that uh, I wanted to do something for Jimmy and, and uh, his family, his dad, and these other families that, 
that experienced Lou Gehrig's disease in some way. So I created a, a run called the Greek Streak, um, which was designed to create awareness and, and, and funds for Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, while I should have spent a lot more time studying the books in my finance courses, um, uh, I found myself, all of my attention was devoted to this, creating this run, designing the t-shirts, designing the course, marketing, uh, getting participants, getting sponsors. And uh, so when I graduated with my paltry GPA and, and barely made it through finance, um, uh, looking back after I graduated, it was uh, that was the keystone experience for me that set the course of uh, the trajectory for me from that point on. Which was, um, uh, you know, I was asking people to push themselves. I was asking people to sweat for something. I was asking people. I was challenging them to uh, to really push themselves, and and it was for a cause. It was for something uh, beyond uh, just the fact that they were uh, they were doing something better for themselves in this push and this uh, through the sweat, uh, and I knew that somehow, some way, I had to recreate that experience for myself. And uh, being a race director, that you know that floated across my uh, radar, uh, but I came across this amazing uh, work that uh, Phil Bryson and Tom Lutz were doing in bringing executives out in the wilderness and using the wilderness as uh, as a classroom to talk mm -hmm. about to talk about business and uh, and leadership and and so studying with those guys and, and traveling the world looking at them using using the outdoors as a metaphor for for work and leadership uh, that really opened the door to uh, the trajectory that you and I have been on for the past twenty seven mm -hmm. years is which which is of course. How do we get people to do something, feel something, think about something in a way uh, that they have not thought about or felt or done before? Mm -hmm. And when you say travel the world, I know you were in Russia with the after Chernobyl, working with families up there in Bali, working with tech companies, you know, doing huge rollouts for AT&T back in the whole new ball game era before the divestiture. Uh, I think that's the right word. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And, Deregulation. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you've been on the forefront of not only our industry when it comes to human development and personal performance and how teams come together, but you've been able to peek into all different kinds of parts of our world and uh, different companies. So what parts of our world have shocked you the most or surprised you the most or, and, or what companies have shocked and surprised you the most, if you can tell us? Well, I, I think that, you know, for me personally, uh, especially given the political climate that we're in right now, um, you know, I find myself in a divisive state, the feeling that, uh, that, I, that I don't particularly like in myself. Um, and it's, it's not until I find my way into conversation and into something less reactive and less reflexive uh, that I find that uh, that there's so much more commonality in all of us across cultures, and that's the that's the beauty of being able to travel, and why I feel like uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the issues that we have today are are from people making assumptions about people without really knowing uh, where they're coming from, and uh, that happens in business, and that happens in politics, and it happens in families, and it happens in my family, and and and, uh, and our business. Mm -hmm. um, and so the biggest surprise to me, I, I suppose, is just the it's it's it, it feels like a surprise and it shouldn't be um, that uh, 
you know, this homecoming, uh, this, this, the, the opportunity to connect at a deeper level with people, um, it, it still surprises me that it, that it can work as effectively as it does. Mm-hmm. And when we get invited into to programs, we get invited in to facilitate that process. And, and for some people, they can get there with a couple of beers or a couple of whiskeys or a couple <laughs> glasses of wine. But uh, because of that medium, they, they may forget that conversation the next day, or it may lead them down a path that, uh, that may not be as effective as, as possible. So we become that, that, that agency or that medium for people to connect in a way that they don't need alcohol, they don't need, uh, uh, they don't think, they don't need things that, uh, that might derail uh, them from a, a larger pursuit uh, together. Yeah. Well, the vision of Odyssey, the word Odyssey for us is a journey marked with notable occurrences and creating those Odysseys and those journeys. And part of the challenge has been, you know, we're standing in front of audiences usually that are 90 to 95% skeptic in the beginning. And then in the end, you know, it's best program ever. And oh my gosh. So what do you think changes the most in people to go from that skeptic to that from skeptic and prisoner then like oh is this just another canned you know uh, meeting I had to leave my family to be at and in the end what is the light that you see in their eyes that has transformed Uh, that's a great question and I think that that's that's been part of my own personal struggle is because I think that I'm the worst participant in the world I feel I am so skeptical and I I just can resonate with those people that don't want to be there Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I don't blame them uh, they still, at that moment, they still haven't figured out what's in it for them. And they haven't been told in a way that uh, they really understand. And unfortunately, um, they're not going to understand it until they've spent an hour with us. They're not going to understand it. They're going to have their own judgment, their own experience, their own uh, uh, prejudices against it. So uh, the, the goal for me is, is, not, to, uh, not, to feel, uh, is, is not to make them feel like... Uh, uh, it's not to rah-rah them through that. It's to, for them to f- feel acknowledged that, yeah, that is a super valid feeling, and I feel that too. Mm-hmm. And I would not be doing this here today with you if I wasn't convinced that, uh, that this was uh, not going to honor your time, whatever you had to give up to be here. Uh, if I wasn't convinced of that, there's no way I could stand in front of you because I am that skeptic. I am probably the worst skeptic, and mm-hmm. that's why... That's why we've been successful in the, the programs that we've developed is because I come from that place of, man, this better be good. Hmm. They paid us a lot to be here and this better be good because uh, all the p- things people have going on in their lives right now, there's, there's no reason for them to do something that shouldn't bring them uh, a lot of value. We are too busy. People give up too much in their lives too often for things that don't, don't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well said. You know, I think that that's part of why we are stay up at night and have long meetings and trying to figure out how can we be better? How can we be better? Because some people just follow that. Well, you're never going to get everybody. And it's like such an easy excuse for a presenter to say, well, they're always going to have 5% skeptics. And I just believe that there's a way to get everybody. Mm, that, that everybody in the room wants to believe again. They want to feel like they matter again. They want this, this awakening. And I know in the very beginning of our work, you know, people are like, knock them dead. And you would say to me, you know, knock them alive. <laughs> and that knock them alive feeling is like, how do we each, as a listener out there, you know, where have we gone asleep? in the dreams you know i call myself head dream chaser 
And you know, how do we get knocked alive? You got knocked alive, whether it was flying your plane or when you took some pictures in Africa and thought, holy cow, there's a depth to this place that I never realized, I never saw before. And when we're standing in front of a group of 500 or 5,000 skeptics, and then in the end, they've been knocked alive like, oh my gosh, I can contribute. I am a part of this. I'm not just a, a piece to this, you know, I'm not just in the back in this meeting what happened without me, but I am a part of this. Mm-hmm. And I think when we create experiences for people to have that awakening, like this wouldn't be the same without me. And where can people be knocked alive like that in their lives? Uh, and I just say here in, in kind of a close, like what's that next thing for you that, that you're either working on that could help knock people alive or bring more life to uh, or bring new perspective to what they see through their lens? Uh, is there any new project on the forefront that's got you excited? Well, we have added new experiences mm-hmm. that serve other people. And so the Team Mosaic is uh, the, the latest um, installment for us with uh, uh, the service component and uh, the fact that we've chosen to serve uh, the Black Mambas, the anti-poaching, all-female anti-poaching unit in Africa, and, uh, and, and pledge uh, money to help in uh, the protection of wildlife uh, in, in Africa and, and the kits that we give locally that uh, are a way for teachers to uh, bring in the conversation through this artistic, uh, this artistic teaming event uh, for kids. Uh, that's really exciting for me, um, seeing, seeing new connections that we make, can make to, to service. Uh, that's that's a def- definitely one that, um, that resonates with me right now. I think in the broader, uh, longer view of Odyssey, uh, it will continue to be uh, how do we how do we surprise people with something they've never seen or done or felt before, um, and I think that those are coming. I I never expected when we created the first uh, life cycles program almost 20 years ago now when we decided to have them build bikes and then the the real uh, key to that program was uh, was having the kids come in to to surprise the yeah, participants. Amazing. Uh, when we when we realized that the the uh, the bike was a metaphor for product and the the kids became the face of the customer and we could then start talking about quality and commitment and service and and how all these things connect in in any company's work that was a huge uh, step for us and it came from this appetite and what I've talked about you know this appetite that you and I both have to um, uh, to surprise people, to surprise ourselves. And I think another one of those is on the horizon, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, and it, it keeps me up at night uh, because I think that, uh, I mean, we've seen so many companies now that have copied our bike program and uh, that are providing other service uh, projects. And while I'm really proud of that, uh, I do feel like there is a shelf life to these experiences where they're not going to be a surprise element for people. They're not going to understand that that these, these service projects were designed first and foremost to have people reflect on the way that they work, the way that they see their work, the way that they connect with their customers, the way that they mm-hmm. see their customers, their products, etc. cetera. Uh, right now it's just kind of a CSR thing for a lot of companies and they're just checking the box. That's a real tragedy for me and I don't know if we can turn that tide. It feels like the momentum away from using this as a really powerful medium 
uh, we're starting to lose control of that that mm-hmm. medium or that message. And so we're going to need to think about what is that next thing that we can come in and, and nobody's ever done it before. And we've done that many times in our past 27 years. Uh, so I, I'm, that's on the radar for me and I'm open to that. And I, f- I feel like we're going to find that thing again. Uh, we just have to, you and I have to be on long drives and, and uh, like we used to come up with just some of their, our best ideas, just talking on a long drive down a road, going to yeah. nowhere with some fishing rods. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been awesome talking to you today. Um, you know, this idea of what happens to CSR, you know, it does feel good to do good. And I think uh, what we're trying to do is connect that feel good to do good in the philanthropic realm to the best philanthropy any company can do is be successful That's and right. to hire more people and to provide a better service for their customers and yeah. that you don't want your whole team to quit and join the Peace Corps That's to right. give back to the world. Like mm-hmm. giving back to the world is by being a great, uh, you know, appliance store or being a great uh, hotel mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, cleaning people's room with passion for the fact that, hey, these people are away from home and I want them to feel good about where we are and welcome them in a real sincere way. Mm-hmm. And you know that's what I think that tragedy is for us is when this CSR component is is sold in a way that it's not a, an interwoven part to every day is an opportunity for service right. and to our right. internal customers, to our families, to our kids, to our spouse, to uh, the people in our communities. And when you're walking down the street and you see a piece of trash, you could pick that piece of trash up mm-hmm. and be in service of you know the kind of community you want to be in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly there's so much to talk about with you, man. We've had so many great years together. Um, and I do feel like we are on the edge of something here. And I hope that the people listening feel like they're on the edge of something in their life. And that they, that, 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 just that, that sense of, I want to keep pushing myself comes out of that burden of potential, that Charlie Brown quote, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest burden in life is potential. And I think kids today face that great burden because they have access to so much that potential can be overwhelming. Yeah. And I think everybody feels that. And maybe we give them an opportunity to be present and connect and feel like they've stepped into some of that potential through the Odyssey programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in close, I know people might be like, wow, that's just his business partner. It must be easy for them to get together. And it's not, you know, we're probably in the, in the headquarters, you know, two or three times a year. So I'm thankful that you're here as part of our launch of the podcast and one of our first episodes uh, to get to share a little of the window of, you know, the, the why of Odyssey and uh, how you've led Odyssey and led me and our partnership to this point in our company. And, you know, so I'm talking to Bill John, my business partner and, uh, of course, keynote speaker, you know, program delivery facilitator and philanthropist from college days to now and I just can't wait to see what's next for you and for our company so uh, a big thank you to anyone listening out there and checking in on our world we hope that you find us and learn more about that team mosaic program we're talking about really excited about that I think we're in the the 50,000 range as far as hands-on people over about 30,000 bikes put on given to kids that really would never have something like skateboards were given to kids so we're giving away a lot we are in the business of giving but it's not just a about the physical item we're giving people. It's the experience and the inspiration. Mm. So uh, thanks for giving us some time today and inspiring us today, Bill. Thanks, Steve. I'd like to thank my business partner, Bill John, again for joining us today on You Go First. He is the CEO, keynote speaker, and world traveler for Odyssey Teams, Inc. 
You can follow our social medias at Odyssey Teams, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y Teams. And you can follow Bill on his personal social media at Bill John Photography. You'll see his photos and inspirations. Again, thanks for listening today. Thanks for listening to another episode of You Go First. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to listen to another episode, you can find us at yougofirst.live or you can see more about our host, Lane Hensley, on his Instagram at OneDreamChaser. To learn more about his company, Odyssey Teams Inc., go to odysseyteams.com or follow all their social media channels at Odyssey Teams. Thanks again, and we hope that you will go first to share our podcast with a friend or colleague. Now, you go first.